All right, good. So we've got audio and video, and I'm going to cue the music, and we're going to start yeah. our new career in uh, podcasting. Does that sound familiar? It sounds familiar. Hey, everybody, <laughs> um, this is the inaugural broadcast of 914 Wired, the three of us who founded this podcast. First of all, I want to thank Charlie Stern, who's our technology guy, our crypto guy, and a very, very organized man who's put this podcast together for us. Uh, our other co-host is Ardina Seward. Ardina, for those who are unaware, and most of you probably are unaware, Ardina was the first African-American camera woman to work for a TV network in U.S. history. Uh, and she was at ABC Network and ABC Local throughout a long and prosperous news career. Uh, my name is Peter Moses. I used to be a New York Post reporter. Uh, before that, I was a jazz critic um, for Gannett News Service, and I went to TV news as a producer because I'm too ugly to be on camera. And uh, that's that's been my career. And we we had a we were on a radio station called WVOX AM in New Rochelle, New York, for 13 years. And they went out of business last week. They, they turned off the signal. And so Charlie very quickly pivoted, and Ardina and I went along with the ride, and Ardina also came up with the logo. And we decided to go with 914 Wired because it has more of an edge. It has, it, it, it's, a, it's a new podcast. It's a new format. And we wanted to start something fresh and new. The fact that we're starting it on September 11th is either an impropitious date or it's a good date. I'm going to assume it's a, it's a... Impropitious. You need to tell me what that even means. Um, a bad day a because, bad it's, day. Okay. because of what it's a reminder of. Right. Okay. Gotcha. Um, you're the I. You went to a. No, I, I don't. I don't have the IV. Ardina knows. I don't have the. And Joe the, Pinion knows what right, impropitious right, 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 means. Right. Because they, they they have IV backgrounds. Yes. And I take IV off my walls. Anyway, so we have with us today our inaugural guest is Joe Pinion, who, uh, if you live in New York State, I'm sure you remember him, because he went up against. In the, in the in the Senate race in New York State for the U.S. Senate, Chuck Schumer, and people were discounting Joe as somewhat of a novice, and he garnered 43% of the vote when he raised a little over half a million dollars, and Schumer raised I think what was it 35 million dollars <laughs> in that race, and yet you garnered 43% of the vote. Those of you who do know Joe Pinion's name beyond New York State. For some time, he had a broadcast on Newsmax called Saturday Alert, right? Saturday Agenda. Saturday, Saturday Agenda. I'm sorry. <laughs> well, I'm 67 the, years we'll, old. I make mistakes. We'll, 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 we'll keep the people alert here on the podcast. So, so what is Joe Pinion doing now? Well, look, I, I think, you know, the first step um, in the aftermath of any campaign, I think, is restoring your sanity um, and, and reconnecting with your family. You know, look, it's it's a a, a humbling experience uh, to be able to put my name forth uh, to have received uh, the vote and support of over two and a half million New Yorkers. It is an honor I will carry with me uh, for the rest of my life. But I think at the same time, uh, it is certainly uh, in many ways an endeavor that takes a lot out of you personally, 
it takes you away from your family traveling the state and so I, I spent at least uh, the good part of this year just reintroducing myself to my dog and my loved ones uh, so that they actually knew who was walking through the door and, and then beyond that I uh, have begun to engage again in, in journalism and, and TV media, uh, as well as working on some opportunities in the private sector. And we're, we're actually getting ready to launch a 501c4 in the coming weeks uh, to help continue advocating for some of the issues that we were able to talk about during the campaign. Can you describe uh, yeah. your your politics? Are you, I mean, you were on Newsmax. That is a decidedly right-wing television network. Um, you've also been you've also been a guest on CNN, which is not. So where do you fall? Well, look, I, 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 the way I look at it is, for me, I, I view politics in a very uh, specific uh, and and deliberative approach. Uh, for me, it, it, it's very simple that uh, our we're a, a four party nation that is trapped in a two party system. Uh, I'm a Republican. I've been a teenage Republican, a college Republican. I'm now an old young Republican. Uh, but I, I think for me, uh, there's never been more agreement amongst the people in America on what is going wrong for the American people. And so while it is, I think, uh, profitable for the networks, and I say that as somebody who is on all the networks, uh, to focus on the wedge issues that keep Americans at each other's throats, when you're looking at the state of our educational system, there has never been more agreement that our children are not being given the tools they need to become the best version of themselves. Uh, when you look at the state of Main Street, it is quite clear that we have Americans working harder and harder for less. Uh, when you look at the state of uh, people trying to have uh, economic product, uh, productivity and prosperity, it is quite clear uh, that we have a wage gap that continues to uh, widen. Uh, that has allowed, uh, in many ways, the American dream to slip away. And when you look at just everyday realities of people trying to figure out if their children are going to inherit an America that is better off than the one that they inherited, whether you're looking at the issues on the southern border, whether you're looking at the drug crisis, whether you're looking at poverty, or whether you're looking at any number of the issues uh, that keep people awake at night, uh, we do not have the stewardship Go ahead, Ardina. Uh, Go ahead, Ardina. that is actually going to get people what they need moving forward. Okay, but they, they are, um, I, I have a two-part question, Joe. Why did you, should I say, gravitate towards the Republican Party, number one? And number two, do you find now that in this particular election cycle, you have a lot of conservative Democrats who are migrating to the other side? Well, look, I, I think in two parts. For me, I've always viewed political parties as kind of the rental car uh, that gets you from point A to point B. The issue is, can the car get you where you're trying to go? And when I look at the two parties, um, I see in a Democratic Party, perhaps a party where I agree on you know, maybe 65 to 70 percent of the objectives, uh, but I only agree with about 25 to 30 percent of the methodologies. Uh, conversely, I see a whoa, Republican whoa, 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 whoa. party. Yeah. What does that mean? That's very pretty language. What does that mean? I, I want to understand well, that metaphor. No, no, no. I, I need well, to specific, go ahead. Well, well, specifically, what it means is that, yes, um, we can all want to say that we want our children uh, to get the best education possible. That is the objective. The methodology is what are the processes that we put in place to achieve that end. And so for me, as it relates to education, I believe that 
we this is no longer theoretical. We have over 40 to 60 years of data that shows us what we need to do to help children get better educational outcomes, specifically as it relates to children uh, who are coming from disadvantaged backgrounds. We know that longer school days work. We know that being able to ensure that there is some sense of school choice also mm-hmm. does work, mm-hmm. right? So that is, again, an objective that I would say both Republicans and Democrats, liberals and conservatives uh, agree on giving our children a better education, while at the same time, if you're talking about what is the method to achieve that outcome, there is a wide variety of disagreements. And I think issue by issue, um, as you go through the core issues that maintain uh, the core pillars of my political uh, ambitions and also my my social uh, consciousness, uh, the issues uh, that I'm most passionate about, I find myself more in agreement with people um, who are center right about what are the best methods for us to achieve that more perfect union okay. uh, that and Americans are seeking. Ardina, you had a, second, a second part. Point, okay, but but uh, how, how do you how do you convince people of that with without uh, sort of taking the sting out of the Republican agenda? And I don't mean that in a harsh sense. I just mean that that when you talk to liberals, when you talk to progressives, there's this kind of wall against Republicans. But a lot of what you're saying makes perfect sense because you're talking about common denominator issues. So how do you get how do you 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 get people to listen to the Republican platform, your your platform, without them putting up this protest, if you will? No, that's a Republican agenda. Well, look, you know, I think John McCain said it best. You know, no one, no one cares about uh, what you know until they know that you care. Um, you look at somebody like Malcolm X. You famously said that uh, sincerity is my chief credential. And so I think that in the aggregate, Republicans have to do a better job of demonstrating a true sense of sincerity when it comes to the outrage uh, that we have on issues. Um, if people don't actually believe that you are sincere in your concerns about their communities. Um, in their future, they're never going to listen to the policies you're espousing, even if, uh, statistically speaking, those policies are uh, going to be uh, an improvement on the current conditions that they're experiencing. I think for me personally, uh, when I engage in politics, it's simply about saying, look, uh, what are you trying to achieve? And also, if there's disagreement, what exactly about what I am saying do you not like? What about what I, what is it about what I am saying that you are so offended by? Mm-hmm. And what ends up happening is that you end up forcing people to realize that they're more upset about the banner under which you're standing than they are with the words that are coming out of your own mouth. But, so so, but that, Joe, here's, here's why I need to kind of back up a little bit to something you said a few minutes ago, that metaphor you used about that the party is a rental car to get where you want to go. We've, right. we've got a few rental cars. There's Hertz, then there's Avis, and they're all basically selling something extremely similar, and yet they coexist, right? And then to, to, to kind of extend that metaphor to politics, uh, it raises some serious questions because – just to kind of back out and come back in a little bit, I, I, I just read this book called On Tyranny. The author's name is um, Timothy Snyder. He's a, a professor from Yale. And what the guy was saying is basically one of the lessons of the 20th century is if you don't want tyranny, you want a healthy dual party system. You don't want one party 
having dominance over the other party for a whole variety of things that can go really wrong. Like fairness. All it just it just democracy unravels when yes. you don't when you don't have a multi So you want if you're a Democrat, you want a healthy Republican Party. The problem is if the Republican Party is dominated uh, by a regime that is d- committed to authoritarian principles and denying the outcome of, of elections and really n- no centeredness in facts or respect for truth or any of that stuff, you can't support that. So how do you square off with that and how do you distance yourself from it? Well, look, I, I think that, that there's a lot packed into that. I think first and foremost, I, I think... We have this, what I call, gross oversimplification of the state of the Republican Party and gross denialism as to the health of the Democratic Party. I think that uh, most people in a kind of okay. 30,000-foot view would say uh, that there is a, a trend towards uh, populism and authoritarianism that is alive and well within both parties. Okay. Uh, the manner in which it is articulated uh, in both parties differs. And I think that if you're talking about the uh, the political sensibilities of those who occupy the space in polite society, uh, they have uh, basically stamped, rubber stamped, uh, what I have called this kind of uh, socially acceptable authoritarianism, right? This notion where I can show up on a major television network and it is perfectly acceptable uh, to declare that 40% of the American people are in a political cult uh, with zero sense of how that prejudices the audience, um, how that is clearly in, in not in keeping uh, with journalistic best practices, and yet somehow uh, it happens uh, perpetually every single day. People who are, who are doing news stories on the various cable networks are supposed to adhere to journalistic principles. What you're talking about, the accusations that 40 percent uh, are not coming from reporters on these networks. It's they're, they're coming from people who are paid to give their opinions and they're well, entitled I, I, to their I opinions. I, I, I would say this. Uh, certainly it's, it, it does come from the opinion givers, uh, the pundits, as you say. It also does come from people uh, who who use this patina of even-handedness uh, to then uh, effectively try to skirt around the fact that they're not being even-handed in their approach. And I could give uh, a multitude of examples of me being behind that desk. And this happened on, on multiple networks. Have you, have you done it, by the way? When, when you had your own show, did you adhere to those journalistic principles all the time, or did you give your opinion? Well, look, for the, the reality is, yeah, from my show, I was the host of Saturday Agenda. It was an opinion show. It was labeled okay. as such. Um, I was expected to give my opinion. So the, uh, the, 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 you didn't have to adhere to journalistic principles that you want others? I, I, I think okay. that there, you, there, you have a responsibility when you sit behind that desk uh, to be transparent about your purpose, your objective, and what is the scope of the show. Okay. Uh, the scope of the show was that I was there to give uh, my opinion. I was also there to walk people through the facts. And in that sense, it was my responsibility to make sure that all the facts that were being presented uh, during the two hours that I was on air every single week were accurate. Uh, my interpretation of those facts certainly uh, are colored by my political perspective, but that notwithstanding, the facts that are presented can and should always uh, be done so in the most forthright manner. My concern is that that level of attentiveness, what I call um, the actual scope or demand for context, is not equal. 
um, that as we have these conversations about even the legal troubles of President Trump, and even if you talk about how we approach the stories about President Trump, uh, the demand for specificity of language, the demand for the type of context uh, that we require of anyone providing analysis of President Trump is not the same demand for context and continuity when it is on the other side. And we have created a scenario where people do not know who to trust. They do not know the actual full score scale of the ideas. So wait, wait. no, I need, I need, wait. So you really believe that, that are you tacitly implying that Trump is being um, in, inappropriately uh, prosecuted I, I, in media? I, I, I think you're, I, I think you're, you're missing the point. The, the, the issue that we're dealing with right now is that we do not have an honest fourth estate. I think that is completely true. I think that if you look at what's happened with President Trump, many of the legal issues that he's facing right now, um, I would I would firmly and completely say he brought on himself. Uh, that in and of itself has very little to do um, with the approach that has been taken to covering these cases. And, and, how, and how, did the, wait, wait, sorry, how did this start? This did not start with... MSNBC. Well, we're, we're, Wait, no, no, no. Let me ask kind my question, of in, please. We're kind of in the weeds here because we're, we're bound to. We, we, we but but Joe, jo, jo, this started with Fox News. Well, hold, hold, hold on. I, again, re respectfully, we, we've the, the question was about my approach to politics and how do we get people uh, to understand. And then you uh, and then you rejiggered the conversation. And and and. Well, I, I don't think I did. I think that we we, we ended up in a bunch of uh, in a, a subsequent series of sub questions uh, that got us to the point where now I'm having a conversation about this all started with Fox News and President Trump. So I, I, I just again, I want to be respectful, but we can go down the rabbit hole on any one of these issues and have a 45 minute conversation. Uh, but I, I don't want to get lost in the weeds where I'm constantly. You know, okay. Trying to no, the last that, that's fine. The so then, then let's level set. Let's level set and say, what what will sort of level this off? What would be a more fair um, application of media to the current political climate? In your opinion, well, look, look, look I, I put it this way: I, I work in journalism every single day, right? I, and, and when I say that, I mean that it's what we're saying when we're on air. It's also the comments that people make uh, when we no longer have a hot mic. And what I'm saying is that people are not getting a true, even-handed portrayal of the facts, right? I, I'll, I'll use one example. I'm not to put names out there, right? But if we're going to sit here and have an honest conversation. Uh, really predicated on no actual evidence other than, you know, hearsay uh, that somehow President Trump engaged in a cover-up with the person who was the, in charge of the pool to try to flood the equipment room uh, to try to damage information, which and upon further evaluation, nothing actually occurred, but the, but the flood did occur. It, it, you start to get to the point where it's, how, where is the basis as a journalist to say what is going to be presented to the American people? Because if you're discussing a flood where no damage occurred, you're starting to get to the point where, uh, okay, great, that's, that, if that's the standard, that's fine. But I'll have the, a conversation with that same journalist mm -hmm. about the fact that I've got, you know, literally no less than four different whistleblower reports about what's going on with President Biden when he was vice president. And they will pretend that there is not enough evidence there for us to have a conversation with it on national television. I would say that, again, that's a real problem when you're talking about what is the standard being established by a network for us to have conversations. So I think, again, obviously, 
again, President Trump being a, a lightning rod for controversy on both sides of the aisle, either you hate him or you love him. Um, all the things with President Biden and his family, uh, whether you believe it or not, a lightning rod on both sides of the aisle. Mm -hmm. But this, again, goes back to my original comment. We started this conversation about saying that we will get lost in this conversation about things that people cannot agree on. Meanwhile, the things that we actually can agree on don't actually get any oxygen. And that happens every single day yeah. in this country. Yeah. And I could connect with that state. Ardina wanted to say something. Is in the, the state that we're in. It's, I think Joe, Joe makes an important point. Because let's take, for example, the comparison between American media and the BBC. Uh, it, it's a world of difference. I'm not, I'm not saying that the BBC is perfect, but I'm saying that the BBC's um, uh, standards for debate and for news are very different from the American media. The American media revels in in inflammatory rhetoric on both sides. Why? Because it sells advertising. Why? Because it brings audiences. Why? Because it gives, it, therefore, you have more revenue. So a lot of the uh, so-called uh, objective broadcast standards are lowered or even wiped away for the sake of getting viewers. Now, I'm not saying that because I'm either pro-Trump, anti-Trump, or pro-Biden or anti-Biden. I'm only saying that as a casual observer, that there's, a, if you watch TV news, there's a lot of fire and brimstone, and the more uh, emotional people are, the more uh, ir so-called irrational they are, then the more viewers there are. You will read in, uh, in the morning after analysis of a debate, so-and-so and so-and-so newscaster, did you hear what they said? Did you hear what they said? Did you see the reaction of, of the person that they were talking to? It's mm -hmm. not about the content. But the reaction. About, it's about the, the reaction. reaction. So, Joe. I'll just say this, right? Even if you look at something, you know, very basic, right? I remember the day uh, last month uh, when it was basically announced by Vladimir Putin and the Kremlin uh, that they were going to start treating all ships, including grain ships, uh, trying to enter those ports uh, into Ukraine as hostile and threatened to blow them up, right? You know, for me, uh, that is no less than the modern-day equivalent of a Cuban Missile Level uh, crisis we have there mm -hmm. uh, on, the, on the Baltic Sea. And the lead story was us, again, talking about the court dates for President Trump. Uh, yeah, so, no, he, 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 I will so, say this. Joe does make his point. He, he, he put something behind it. Now, it, it, this relates, but I didn't want to finish up without mentioning this. Because it's it's directly a Joe Pinion story. You were successful in 2022 against Chuck Schumer at getting 43% of the vote in a general election for United States Senate from New York. I candidly, I don't remember hearing all that much about that. And of course, in politics, winner takes all. You didn't win, and that's okay. You know, but you... I think arguably had a very successful run for the United States Senate. I really didn't hear about it very much at all. And to Peter's point, you were outspent, what, 10 to 1? Much more oh, than that. Put it this way. Almost 100 to 1. I mean, you, you look. He, he, so why and, is that, Joe? Why is that? Well, look, I, I'll say this. And, and this goes back to my idea about what is the standard for journalism and for context, right? And it's, it's a lot easier to understand when you take somebody like Trump out of the equation. I ran for U.S. Senate in New York. I, am, I didn't run to be a historical figure, but at the end of the day, I was the first black man, first black person ever nominated for U.S. Senate in the history of New York State by either party. 
Um, if you if you ran a poll of the amount of people who read the New York Times on a daily basis who knew about our campaign prior to the debate that we had with Chuck Schumer, uh, it would probably would have been very little. But that's because the people that are in control of the editorial at the New York Times mm-hmm. pretended the election was not happening. Right. Uh, we would go to Buffalo and have press conferences where every major press organization in Buffalo would be present. And then you would open up the newspapers the next day, and it was as if we had never come to town. Right. And so there, That's real. again, when we, when we talk about the reality of what's going on in journalism, I, look, we can talk about it in the context of what just happened uh, with WVOX. Uh, with the reality being that investigative journalism costs money, that smaller radio stations are under more financial pressure than ever before, mm-hmm. uh, that in this world that has become more about clicks and more about larger conglomerates, uh, that the local news gets fall, goes and falls through the cracks. But even with real major news, again, a, a U.S. Senate race against the Senate Majority Leader for the Nation, who is vying to become the longest-serving Senate in the history of New York State, it is failure by design in some cases, where the media has gone out of their way to pretend that something is not newsworthy in order to place their thumb on the scale and ensure a particular outcome, that outcome being Chuck Schumer saying exactly where he was. So it, it will be impossible for me to have anyone convince me uh, that it was not a deliberate attempt by specific individuals in newsrooms all across this country, be it the, be it the traditional printed press or be it somebody out there um, and other and Nora's to try to make sure uh, that the word didn't get out there, we were successful because we brought the message directly to the people. Uh, we went door to door, we went city to city in a way that was undeniable, in a way that I just don't think they realized was going to be as effective. I, th- I think I think part. that I think that part's very very true, and I um, I know that Ardina, Charles, and I have to agree on that point with you, Joe. Right. Joe, we're going to have to. We've 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 taken up enough of your time. I know you have a specific amount of time in mind. And Joe's actually at a 9/11 event today. I think it's uh, wise for us to uh, leave off on that note. It's a sad day. We all remember where we were 22 years ago, right? Yes. Absolutely. And uh, you know, we remind people that you know, 19 madmen brought this nation to its knees. And so I know sometimes in the political fisticuffs. Uh, we can talk about terrorism or safety in the aggregate. It just seems like bombast. But uh, you know what? I I, I think the opposite. I don't think 19, 19 cowards brought the nation to its knees. I think nineteen cowards brought the country to its feet. I think that after nine eleven, things have changed. Uh, well, certainly. Yeah. I so think, I don't. I, I don't. I don't. First, I don't agree. I don't agree. The, I, I put it this way. First, there was the grief, the shock, the horror. And then after that, the unity, the unity that we all celebrate on the days where we remember that eternal phrase, never forget. And which has and fallen away that we, in, that we in, in years, forget. which has fallen away in years since. But it'll be back. It'll and be back. So you're listening to 914 Wired, new podcast, that which we've converted from Tell your friends. a former uh, radio show. Then, you know, the, Peter, we didn't mention this, but... Apparently, AM radio doesn't work well in EV cars. It on doesn't top work of, at all. On top of all the other problems we have in our society, you can't get AM radio in a Tesla. And uh, that is, uh, <laughs> that's causing problems all over this country. 
but uh, we're 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 doing something about it because we in this little group here, and and I know I speak for Joe too. Uh, we believe in local radio and local media and news and news commentary. So nine one four wired nine one four wired dot com. You can start to pick it up in the podcast directories. I want to thank everybody for coming in here, Joe Pinion. Thank you for being our inaugural guest. No problem. Thank All you right. Thanks, everybody, and uh, we'll see you next week.